Three weeks ago, we launched into a series entitled, Here I Stand. And the idea of here I stand is the phrase that was attributed to Martin Luther as he stand on trial, as he stood on trial, asked to renounce and to recant the ideas that he had brought forward, the objections that he had brought forward to the church that he felt were not in line with the word of God. And so what we're going to be doing every week is looking at what were the pillars, what were the things that Luther and the reformers that went after him stood for and stood upon. Last week we talked about sola fide. We talked about the truth of faith alone and that how that was the the crux of the argument for Luther and the reformers that in order to be made right with God, in order for man to be justified in the sight of God, that it is by faith and faith alone in the work of Christ alone and it's received by grace alone and according to the scriptures alone to the glory of God alone. Well, this morning we turn our attention to the next Sola, the next alone of the gospel, which was sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. And scripture alone for them 500 years ago, and I pray that even today is the thing, the only foundation as, the, as we process this morning, we sang that there is one foundation. It is the foundation of the word of God alone. Even last week, I explained the significance of the preacher wearing a robe, that the robe is meant to block out and to black out the preacher so that only the words that come out of the preacher's mouth are recognized and remembered, that it is the, the critical importance of the pulpit ministry, the critical importance of the preaching of the Word of God that marks the church, that marks the Christians. The church at the time, 500 years ago, had taken the Bible out of the hands of the people in order to serve their own agenda. Most of the people didn't have the Bible, lest people might actually read it and do what it says. And so what we celebrate in the Reformation is a return to Scripture and Scripture alone, a return to getting the Word of God back in the hands of the people. And when the Reformation broke out and the Word of God returned to the people of God, it turned this world upside down. 500 years ago, it was illegal to translate the Bible. But thank God for people like William Tyndale that translated the, the Bible from Latin into English, only to be eventually captured in the Netherlands and burned alive. And so when we sit at home and when we hold the Word of God in our hands, I want you to sit and to stand and to read this book, remembering that people died for this and that you would treasure it with all your heart. And our passage this morning to understand the importance of God's word and God's word alone, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. 
Timothy was the young pastor of the church of Ephesus, and Paul is writing, Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's writing to a pastor, a young pastor that is facing persecution, that is facing turmoil, and he is concerned for Timothy and concerned for his church that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of turmoil, that they will be led astray, they will be convinced or tempted to stray away from the world. Word of God and the Word of God alone. And so sense the urgency in Paul's writing as he writes to Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, no, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. 500 years ago, men and women rediscovered the beauty of the Word of God. And it was this rediscovery of the Word of God and the Word of God alone, as I said, that turned this world upside down. And like the men and women that have gone before us, I want you as a church, I want you as a people of God again this morning to be captured by the Word of God, to be captured by its beauty and captured by its power. For some of you, I want this to be a rediscovery of the power and the beauty of the Word of God. For some of you this morning, it might be a discovery for the very first time of how the Word of God works and the power that it holds. The scriptures are written in 66 books, written by 40 authors, written by narrators and, pro and prophets, written into epistles and poetry, comprised by two testaments and two promises, written by kings and prophets and scholars and peasants and fishermen and tent makers, written in both Hebrew and Greek. It's the best-selling book in the history of the world and the most popular, and it's also the most powerful. The Word of God has the power to bring kings and rulers to their knees and to take the most broken and most helpless and give them hope. So what does Paul want Timothy to be reminded about? To be reminded about concerning the Word of God and why is it important for us this morning? The first thing that we see Paul trying to relay or attempting to relay to Timothy, young Timothy, in the passage that we read this morning is the foundation of Scripture. We see that in verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15. What does he say? He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed in whom you've learned it. What Paul is referring to, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 5, Paul makes mention of the two people in Timothy's life that have trained him and raised him and given him a passion for the Scriptures. In chapter 1, he mentions his grandmother Lois and his mother 
Eunice. And he says it is the testimony and the legacy and the heritage of your grandmother and your mother, the ones that came alongside of you when you were young to train you in the scriptures. He says, Paul says to Timothy, remember these things and continue in these things. You see, the idea that Paul wants Timothy to be reminded about the foundational nature of Scripture is really not only the big idea here in verse 14, but it's really the theme all throughout 2 Timothy. If you've ever read 2 Timothy, you can see the sense of, hear and sense the sense of urgency all throughout this epistle. Paul was concerned that in the midst of struggle, that in the midst of turmoil, that in the midst of persecution, there would be some, maybe even Timothy himself, that would go, this just isn't working. The gospel isn't working and the word of God isn't working. This whole ministry isn't working and we need to scratch everything and turn to another means. We need to turn our attention to a new strategy, to a new program, to a new scheme. And you can sense that. You can sense the pastoral intensity all throughout 2 Timothy, almost pleading with young Timothy to not abandon the scriptures, to be reminded of the foundational nature of the scriptures. Even if we were to go forward into chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, what does Paul exhort him to do? Preach the word in season and out of season. Why this reminder for Timothy? Because more than likely, Timothy was weary. More than likely, Timothy was living in that season of dryness. He was living out of season. You can only imagine the persecution and the turmoil and the suffering that they were facing in the first century. Paul will go on to say that there will be people that will abandon the word of God around you only to give credence to what they want to tickle their ears. And so what Paul is pleading with Timothy to do is to never abandon the word of God. It is foundational for life. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that the Word of God, that the Scriptures are our only rule of faith and life. And for you this morning, you might be going through that season of dryness. You might be going through that season where the Word of God at one point was alive and it was exciting and it was beautiful to you, but you're going through that season of difficulty. You're going through that drought. You're going through that season where you're not in the Word of God and don't treasure the Word of God and don't cherish the Word of God like you used to. And what Paul is saying, not only to Timothy, but saying to you this morning, he says, continue in it. Continue in it. It is the only plan. It is the only strategy. It is the only foundation for living. What Paul is trying to say is that the scriptures are all sufficient. They're never changing. So regardless of the changing circumstances of your life, regardless of the changing seasons of your life, Paul wants us to be steadfast, to not abandon, but to continue in the word of God to continue in the scriptures. And just aside, wouldn't this be the goal for our church? Wouldn't this be, I pray, the foundation that we are leaving and leading, not only for all of the adults in our church, but for our children as well, that our children here at Coral Ridge would grow up in a church that Grayson that we baptized this morning would grow up in a church and he would see men and women even 
as they go through difficult circumstances and difficult seasons, leaning and relying wholly and only on the Word of God. That's why we have a children's ministry. That's why we do catechism classes. That's why we have a school. That's why we invest in the next generation because we want them to grow up in a church and in a community that values the Word of God. Parents, what foundation are we laying for our kids? Laying a foundation that God's Word would move deep into their souls. We teach our kids to go to the bathroom. We teach our kids to brush their teeth. We teach our kids to walk. We teach our kids to speak. We eventually teach our kids to drive a car. And we can train up the greatest accountants and lawyers and physicians to make enough money to buy the entire buffet. But then there's Jesus saying that man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words that come from the mouth of God. Let's be a church that raises up a generation of children the next generation of children, that the foundation for their life, the only rule for faith and living is the word of God. It is the only foundation. Continue in it. The second thing that Paul wants Timothy to understand about the scriptures is the purpose of the scriptures. In verse 15, the end of verse 15, Paul says, be acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise. For what? Wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul is trying to say is that the entire Scripture, that from beginning to end, is the only way that you can understand about the salvation of Jesus Christ. You see, the Word of God talks a lot about a lot of things. It talks about God, and it talks about life, and it talks about birth, and betrayal, and siblings, and passion, and laughter, and loneliness, and power, and prayer, and prison, and in greed. It has a lot of topics, and a lot of subjects, and a lot of characters. But what Paul wants us to understand, and what we need to be reminded of this morning, that ultimately the message of the Scriptures has one purpose, and one message, and it's to point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus and Jesus alone is the primary purpose of the Bible. John Calvin said this, that this is the whole of what we would seek in scriptures, to be well acquainted with Jesus Christ and the infinite riches which are comprised in him, which are by, through him offered to us from God his Father. Calvin, the whole of which we should seek in scripture is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's why, by God's grace, we are a church that is committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Why? Because it's the only way that we will discover and to know Jesus and Him crucified. In John chapter 12, the Greeks uh, come to the feast, and when they encounter Philip, as great as Philip was, what do the Greeks say? We have not come to see you, but what, sir? We would see Jesus. Inscribed on the back of this pulpit, the very words from John chapter 12, sir, we would see Jesus. So that we are not a church that comes to hear the preacher, that we are not a church that primarily comes to hear a choir or comes to hear music, but may we forever be a church that comes for one reason, that is to see and to hear Jesus. If you do not leave here this morning and see Jesus, that you have missed it. I have missed it. We have missed it.
The purpose of Scripture is to point people to the cross. That's why we are a church sold out to the delivery of God's Word, because there is no other truth. The Scriptures which make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. The purpose of Scripture. Paul wants Timothy to be reminded of the foundation of Scripture, the purpose of Scripture, and then lastly, Paul wants Timothy to be reminded of the power of Scripture. In verse 16, Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. What Paul is trying to say here is so profound. What he is saying is that the Scripture that you read, the Scripture that you know, the Scripture that you have become acquainted with have come from the very mouth of God, that God has breathed out and out of his mouth have come the very words of Scripture. There is no other religion, there is no other major religion in the history of the world that can say that the words that they read in their book are the very words of God himself. So that when you read the scriptures this morning and when you read the scriptures this week, that you are just not reading words and ideas about God, but that you are reading the very word of God himself The prophets in the Old Testament did not say, I think this is what God was trying to get across to us. What did the prophets say over and over again? Thus saith the Lord. So that when we hold the scriptures and read the scriptures and memorize the scriptures, we are memorizing and learning and hearing and reading and cherishing the very words of God himself. And it's because of that that the word has power And if the very words of Scripture are the very words of God himself, it means that we have an absolute source of truth. If God is absolute and his words that come out of his mouth have been recorded in Scripture, then that means that we have an absolute source of truth. The Scriptures have absolute authority over our lives. We live in a culture that tells us that we are the final authority. I will decide what is right and wrong. I will decide what is false and true. I will decide on all decisions of life and money and marriage and work and relationships. I can define what marriage is. I can define what family is. I can decide on matters of sexuality and on body and on my life. Until we get to the word of God. And it says, no, you have no authority over your life. There is an absolute truth, and it's found in the word of God. And it's that absolute truth that has all authority over your life. God has spoken, and it has absolute authority over your life. And if it has absolute authority over your life, then it has the power to change. It has the power to change you. Look at what it says in verse 16. Not only is the scripture breathed out by God, but it's profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. What Paul is describing is the transformed individual, a person that has been changed by the very word of God, that it teaches you and it corrects you and it trains you in righteousness. It's a picture of the scripture transforming our lives. There's a pastor in our our denomination in Alabama that had a friend refer 
a colleague to him that lost his wife and the friend said, hey, why don't you, I know you don't typically go to church on Sunday mornings, but, and I know you're not a typically religious person, but you're mourning and you're hurting. Why don't you go talk to my pastor? And so the gentleman comes in and he sits down with the pastor and he pours out all of his woes. He, he pours out his sadness. He pours out his grief. And the pastor says, well, perhaps God has some things to say that might be helpful. And the gentleman stops him and he says, Sir, with all due respect, I, I don't believe in God. I come from a, a family where we didn't go to church, we didn't believe in God. Three generations of, of father and grandfather and great father that have walked away from God and, and walked away from the faith. And the pastor says, well, I'm sorry, you've come to a preacher and I believe that God has something to tell you. And so would you give me just a few minutes and the pastor, taking the Bible, begins reading Scripture over this man's life. And the man agrees to take home the, word, the very Word of God, the Bible. And this man goes from skeptic and cynic and doubter and begins to read his Bible. He begins to study his Bible. Eventually, it leads him to convert to the Christian faith. It eventually leads him to come to church. Eventually, it leads him to be baptized. And it become a member of that congregation. It allowed that man to say this, I lost my wife, but I found God. It has power. The power to take the most wayward, cynical, stubborn, hard-hearted, unbelieving person and make them new. Doesn't matter to God. He is not challenged. And then lastly, how does this change happen? How does this change take place? How is one transformed by the very word of God? Back in verse 16, when it said that all scripture is breathed out by God, there's another place in scripture where it talks about the very breath of God. Where do we see God breathing and it being recorded in scripture? We see it back in Genesis 2. You see, it's in Genesis 2 that we see that God in the creation of man does what? He takes the dust and what does he do? To create the first man, he breathes life into him. He takes something that is dead and makes it come alive. You see, it is the very breath of God that is contained in the scriptures that brings life, that brings joy, that allows the dead to be made alive. And the Apostle John is the one that tells us that Jesus is the Word and that the Word of God became flesh and has dwelt among us. So Jesus is the very Word of God that breathes life into our weary souls, that not only changes us and transforms us, but allows the dead to be made alive. The Word of God for you should be life-giving. brings life to our weary souls. And there's some here this morning that whether you realize it or not, you're dead. And you don't even know it. And you've been searching your whole life for truth and meaning and forgiveness and fulfillment and to right all wrongs. You've been searching your entire life in order for you to be made alive and for your life to matter and for your life to count. And I would ask you this morning, would you look no further? than the person and work of Jesus, 
the Jesus that is presented to you this morning in the scriptures and the scriptures alone and that you would allow your life to be captured by him, the very word of God who has been made flesh. Three years ago, a thousand Bibles were delivered to an underground church in a village in communist China. And a reporter from Christianity Today was invited to go on this excursion of delivering the Bibles to this obscure village, to the underground church in China. And as the boxes were uh, put out in this village, the shipment of Bibles arrives, the people begin to fall on the boxes like ravenous wolves, and they take the Bible, and every person runs and takes their Bible, and they run into the corner lest someone try to take it away from them. And as the cameraman zooms in to each individual in unison with tears running down their faces, every single person in that village is holding their Bibles tightly and they are kissing their Bibles. And the cameraman afterwards goes to the, the leader of this underground church and he asks them, I, 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 need to, I need to ask you, why were the people kissing their Bibles? And the leader of the church said, because they realize that this book is the story of God kissing them and it forever changes their life. You see, when you understand this morning that the Word of God is the story of God coming down in the person of Jesus Christ to rescue you, to rescue his treasured sons and daughters, it is a story that seems too good to be true, and then we open up the Word of God. And you too can say like a child, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so.